So another week of college football is in the books. And what did we learn in week three? Well, we have learned that there are, unfortunately, more questions than answers. Nobody in this quarterback class is setting things alight. There are definitely some intriguing players, but intriguing is the extent to which we can go so far. This is not a group that is otherworldly, which has been portrayed in the media. Every single article that you see will talk about the great depth of the quarterback class. They'll talk about multiple options in the first round. This is a great QB class. And we hear a lot of this every single year. It's been hyped up to the nines this year so far. But for a variety of reasons, this quarterback class is yet to really get firing. There's still time for that to change, but it has been a bit of an underwhelming start. It has to be said. And the future of the Seahawks, and boy, do they need a future after last Sunday, is not necessarily going to be waiting on a silver platter for them next April. There is time for things to change. I have to stress that again. There are good quarterbacks and there are good players at other positions as well, which are going to be available in this 2023 draft. But the narrative of this being a mind-blowing quarterback class has to be toned down. Let's start with Will Levis and what we saw from him in his game against Youngstown State. There is a legit chance that Will Levis is going to be the first quarterback taken. He seems to be the most pro-ready. The things that he does well are the things that teams are going to look for. He's got amazing physical traits. He's got a command of play action. His offensive coordinator is from the Shanahan trees. just gone over there. He worked with the McVeigh disciple who's gone to be the Rams offensive coordinator last year as well. And you can see that he works well in this system. He can go through progressions. In this game, you saw him go from one progression, two progression, three progression. He can check down. He can throw it deep. His throwing base is good. He's got a fantastic arm. He's got everything that you look for in an NFL quarterback. And the good is very, very good. There are just a couple of things which are going to hold him back. The first thing is the offensive line. It continues to be horrible. This was another four-sack game. A reminder, they were playing Youngstown State, not Alabama. Another four sacks, lots of pressure. Um, his first two third downs of this game both resulted in sacks. And the interceptions are a problem. He had 13 interceptions last season. He's already registered four. One of those was a sack fumble against Florida. I'm not sure why it's been overturned. And look, you know, people will talk about the interceptions and it will become a big thing for him. I've got a little bit more perspective on that than perhaps other people will. I don't, I'm not that concerned by the type of interception that Will Levis is throwing. A couple of them have been in the red zone, but I've seen him make really good red zone throws as well. In this particular game, one of them, he was looking off to the right-hand side of the end zone in the red zone. And he had to hold on that defender for a long, long time, then snap his neck round and then throw almost blind to sort of a slant from the left. When you were doing stuff like that, it's always full of risk in the end zone because it's a quick turn and you're throwing without really looking. You're not really making a read at that point. You're just trusting that your receiver is going to be in the right place. And lo and behold, he wasn't. And the offensive coordinator put the blame on that interception on the receiver. It didn't complete his route. It's a good play by the defender. So I'm not that concerned by that. You'd rather Will Levis not throw that pick, but I'm not going to get overly worried about it. The second one as well, you know, it's, it's all his fault. It's, it's definitely Will Levis's fault and he will take the blame for that. And again, his offensive coordinator did put the blame on Will Levis for that second interception. He is leaning back, he's throwing off balance, and the pass sails on him. That will happen sometimes. The key is to make sure it happens as few times as possible. And if his technique was bad a lot of the time, and he was doing this a lot, or if these interceptions were costing his team games, then it would be a problem. 
I, I don't really have much of an issue with this because I see him throwing with a great base. I see him stepping into his throws. I see him generating velocity from, velocity from his core and with a strong base that he has. So I'm not that overly concerned by a play like this. It feels extremely fixable to me compared to some of the other interceptions that we saw at the weekend from Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson, for example. So I'm not overly concerned by that issue of Will Levis. And again, I'm just going to read some of these stats out so that you have this information. In Patrick Mahomes' final year at Texas Tech, he had a run of six straight games with an interception. He had 25 interceptions in his last two seasons in college. Andrew Luck's final year at Stanford, he ended with a run of six straight games with an interception. Josh Allen had 21 interceptions in his final two years at Wyoming. And Russell Wilson even had 25 interceptions in his final two years at NC State. So interceptions generally are part of college football. If Levis was being reckless, if he was being indecisive, if he was misreading coverages, if he was costing his team's games, as I mentioned, it would be a worry. But I think the reality is very different. There are good and bad interceptions. And if you can have good interceptions, then Will Levis has them. Let's just say he doesn't have bad interceptions. Let's put it that way. And when you see the things that he does well, throwing downfield, great, great arm. He had a great run in this game. Broke it off for a 27-yard game because he's a fantastic athlete. You know, he has got all of the things that you look for. Great character, great personality. Check out the interview that I did with him, which is on this channel. You know, there's a lot to like. I think the, the way to judge Levis, and I think he's going to be a very high first-round pick, I think the thing to wonder is, can he be great rather than just good? That is the question that I would have about him right now. I think of all the quarterbacks in this draft, he's the one who's most likely to be able to come in and start quickly. He obviously is a little bit older than some of these players. And I think he's more pro-ready with the systems that he's been playing with and the concepts and seeing him go through progressions, seeing his athleticism and his physical skills that he already has. I think he could come in quite quickly and play. It's whether or not he can be special. That's my big question with Will Levis. Bryce Young, another mixed game. We saw that against Texas. Three bad quarters, one good quarter. That one good quarter won his team the game. He played UL Monroe in this week, in week three. And there were some similar issues. He threw a terrible interception in the first half. He had all of the time in the pocket. You, you just want him to sit in there and make a throw. But he decides to scramble anyway, and that's a habit you don't want to get into. He tried to create something. He just threw it downfield recklessly. I don't know why, what he was thinking, why he did what he did, but he just threw it up for grabs. It was nowhere near his receiver. He threw it straight to a defender. And it was a hopeless, just chuck and hope play. I have absolutely no idea why a player of his quality, of his ability to read the game and the situations, he's a Heisman winner, he shouldn't be making that mistake. And, you know, it was a bit of a weird one because it strangely benefited Alabama because two plays later, Will Anderson caught a tip pass, returning back for a pick six. Then UL Monroe get the ball back. They go three and out. They have a pump block to return for a touchdown. So right off the back of the interception, it's about to 14-0 run. But nevertheless, he needs to not make that mistake. And a turnover and downs, turnover and downs just rushing a play on fourth down, trying to squeeze it in before the end of the first quarter. Again, another unnecessary mistake. And he had a second interception, just an inaccurate throw, threw it high and slightly behind his target. It's tipped, it's picked off. So there were definitely some ugly moments within that game. But there was also some good stuff. You know, he showed up his creative ability as a runner. He had a scrambling TV, kind of pirouetted, spun away from two defenders to get across into the end zone. Um, he had this just really nice play to the right side of the field, to his tight end, 
found that favourable matchup, ideal throw on the money, great velocity, great placement on the pass, fantastic. And then the next one, he's kind of like looking into the into the end zone, directing traffic, pointing to his where he wants his receiver to go, let him develop the play, throws it to him. You could easily argue though that he had pass protection that someone like Will Levis didn't have, which is why he's been able to guide traffic and direct traffic. His th- his third interception um, was a really easy one; just dumped it off into the flat, running back, ran it for forty yards after the catch. Really, really easy. So. I mean, there are good things and bad things. I think whenever we talk about Young, people get a bit sniffy about this because, you know, we've had Russell Wilson, we've had Kyler Murray, we've had Drew Brees. You know, whenever you mention a smaller player, people think, well, haven't we proven that that's not a big issue anymore? Um, but Bryce Young's different to those guys. He's not thick. He doesn't have a big arm per se. It's not a bad arm. It's not a rocket arm like, like Murray and Wilson have got. Um, he is very creative, but he's slight. You know, Murray and Wilson and Breeze all had a thickness to them. He's slight. He, when he's getting hit regularly, which doesn't happen at Alabama, is he going to be able to take a physical pounding like some of these guys have been doing? Who knows? And has he just got that wow factor that someone like Kyler Murray has? He, he hasn't. I mean, Kyler Murray just did amazing things. He was an unbelievable player at college, just a, frankly a, a stunning player. And still is, as we saw from that two-point conversion on Sunday, a really incredible player. Not Maybe not the complete package, but unique skill set. And Young just lacks that. So I think he's better than Tua Tungavailoa at Alabama, but I'm just not sure that he's got the upside of Murray or Russell Wilson. So he's going to go in the first round. It's just whether he goes very, very early, and he might do if some of these other quarterbacks fall away. He may still go very, very early. Tungavailoa went in the top 10 after all. Um, it's just a case of where does he fit into this when you've got physical beasts like Levis and CJ Stroud, we're going to talk about in a moment, who obviously are going to be in this draft as well. Jaron Hall is somebody who continues to impress me at BYU. Now, it was a disappointing game from BYU. I picked them in a, in a bet, uh, plus four. So it was really disappointing to see how that game unfolded. But as I was watching it back, I kind of thought, well, the quarterback's going to struggle here because look at the score. And that wasn't the case. He actually played quite well. And when I watched his 2021 tape, I thought it was underwhelming. I didn't think he showed off a great arm. I didn't really like some of his throws. I've since been told that he was carrying a rib injury, I think it was, last season. So that might have impacted him a little bit. In this game, his arm looked great. You know, he was really firing in some passes there. He's very creative. He's mobile. He does throw with touch. Um, The thing that I noticed with him is he kind of lost his passes with wonderful touch into good areas, which was very similar to Russell Wilson at Wisconsin. I did sort of feel when I was watching him that that was kind of a comparison I wanted to make. And look, it's a, it's a difficult comparison because, you know, Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. But, you know, I kind of felt watching him that there was, there was a little bit of that to it, you know, in the way that he lost those passes, those sort of mid-range passes, that sort of 20, 30 yards to the sideline, it puts some real air underneath it, just drops it in there to his receiver. And I really like that about him. Now, he's an older player. He's even older than Will Levis. He's going to be a 25-year-old rookie. I don't think he's necessarily got the first round upside, even though he's got a strong arm, even though he's, so he's doing some good things. He's not the biggest player. I think he's about 6'1", 205. Um, and, and the age thing is going to be there as well. And it might just hold him back a little bit. He's not getting quite the same buzz as, as other quarterbacks. But if we're talking about day two, I think he could be an option for teams and, and I like him and I've listened to his interviews. I think he's got a bit of something to him. I think he's got some good leadership skills. So I would say that Jaron Hall, surprisingly for me, because I didn't expect it coming in, I accept that the injury situation may have impacted the way he played last year, but I think Jaron Hall 
is a player that I'm increasingly keeping an eye on here. Tyler Van Dyke, on the other hand, at Miami, I am wondering what the future holds for him because although you can't make excuses for a player for a bad performance, I absolutely hate the Mario Cristobal offense. And I, having a look online, I think some of the Miami fans are starting to hate it as well. It is painfully conservative. As I wrote on the blog, Cristobal makes Pete Carroll look like a maverick renegade in terms of balls to the wall, high-octane, new-age football. I mean, there was this moment in the game, it was quite late in the day, and they were trailing 17-3, and they're in the red zone. And they run the ball on about third and eight. It was third and goal, but it was about eight yards out. And they don't score. They get very little. And they kick the field goal to get a 17-6. And now you're thinking, what are you doing? Do you want to win this game or not? You need a touchdown in that point. Don't run the ball with Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback in that situation. And if you are going to run the ball there, you've got to go for it on fourth down. I mean, it was so frustrating. You kept seeing Van Dyke being asked to throw passes behind the line of scrimmage and rely on yards after the catch. We saw a bunch of runs and they ran the ball quite well. We also see the screens, the slams, the extended hands off. It's just boring. It's so dull. They kept kicking the ball in the red zone when they needed points. They played the game like they were winning by three points throughout the whole thing, and they were trailing throughout the whole game. Now, Van Dyke burst onto the scene last year, and he was throwing 300 yards a game. He went and out-dueled Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. They were the ACC champions last year. He was a first-round pick. He played better than him in Pittsburgh's backyard and out-threw him in that game. Now he struggles to get to 200 yards. He just does not look comfortable in this system just like Justin Herbert didn't, and his stock is taking a hammering. Now, he has to do better. He almost threw an interception on his first drive, just failed to read the safety, throws it to the left front corner of the end zone, terrible base, took a big stride forward. That's the kind of thing that Justin Fields does, and it takes all of the, the power out of the throw. It takes the accuracy out of it, and he was lucky the safety didn't pick that off, and he, he almost threw another pick to the right sideline. Again, didn't step into his throw, he double-clutched as he was doing against Southern Miss because I, I just think he's hesitant. I don't think he, he's so cautious of not making a mistake because I think it's preached into him. He's double-clutching a lot. He did that, threw late again. It's an ugly throw. Fortunate it wasn't a turnover, you know. And there were just misses throughout the day, just miss, off target, just throwing a little bit high on wide. Really disappointing. So if I didn't see that much last year, there were some drops as well. There's a really awful drop from the running back on third and nine, which ended a drive, ended the second drive. Uh, he was out without his top receiver. His his roommate was out of the game, injured. Um, he did have the occasional flourish, but just it's it's not good. And I kind of wonder what's what's going to happen here. You know, this is his first full season as a starter. So does he carry on in this system next year? Come back for another year? Hope to develop? Does he think I need to get out of this place and just go and get into the NFL and learn there? Does he transfer? I mean, but when you, I don't want to predict he's going to transfer at this stage. But he's not from Miami. He's got the real attachment to Miami I think it's from Connecticut or something like that so you know he could technically go somewhere else and play next year in a more pass-friendly offense who knows uh, but I, I, this is just not working for him it's not suiting him and you know I'm it is going to hurt his stock I still think he's a really good player but he's not showing it right now and you wonder what he will do next year whether he transfers stays for another year or declares I don't know I think it's up in the air CJ Stroud at Ohio State Second cupcake game for him and for Ohio State in a row. Arkansas State last week, Toledo this week. Um, again, no issues here, no struggles. 
just an opportunity to show off. And he did. He flashed a wonderful piece of footwork. There are brilliant post routes at the first touchdown. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. who was fantastic in this game. He just looked really comfortable on play action. He drops, he sets and throws with accuracy, velocity, good base, everything that you want to see. He had a wow touchdown on the move. He scrambles, he extends the play. He throws from the right side, the right sideline, and he gets it into the one area of the, of the end zone where his receiver can make the catch. Just terrific creativity, improvisation, skill, everything that you want to see. He throws out routes with, him, with ease. It's really impressive. Um, he did have like one dangerous throw, which is a bit fortunate to Harrison Jr., which was almost picked off. Ends up being a big positive play, though. Can't really knock him for that. Um, you know, his, his touchdowns, apart from that, were all pretty easy and pretty standard. But he just, you know, when he's on it, he looks great. The key for me, for Stroud, if he could be the number one overall pick. There's never been a doubt. I've never said he was a bad player. I've just had reservations about how consistent he is in some of these big games. And when he's going to be playing, you know, against Wisconsin, when he's playing at Michigan State, when he's playing at Penn State, when they play Michigan down the line, can he dominate those games? Because he can do it. He's got the potential to do it. Go and blow those teams out. Look what Washington did to Michigan State. You know, just go and do that. Do what Penix Jr. did to Michigan State. Just go and do it. And, you know, Wash Wisconsin are no great shakes. Penn State, yeah, okay, they've got a good win against Auburn. Auburn are crap. Like, just go and dominate these games. They should beat Michigan handsomely, in my opinion. If he can do all of these things, if he has, like, an undefeated season, if he can be more consistent in, in those games than he was against Notre Dame, intermediate accuracy is the big thing. Processing, I just want to see a bit more of that because I know he can throw on the run. I know he can throw pretty passes downfield on a dime. I know that he has got fantastic arm strength. I know that he's got great core. I know he can do all those special throws that we're going to see at the pro day. I just want to see that intermediate accuracy and consistency be better in the key games. If he could do that, he could be the number one overall pick. That's going to be the key for him. Uh, a lot of people have asked about Michael Penix Jr. You know, and a lot of people asking about Cam Ward. It's the Washington Husky, Washington State Cougar thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm, look, I get asked an awful lot about these guys. I get asked about Hooker at Tennessee, who I don't think is is particularly destined for the pros. I mean, he, he will get drafted, I imagine. I just think he'll be a later pick who sort of sticks around for a bit and, and will may get his chances. I'm not sort of thinking of him as a high pick. And I have to say, that's personally how I feel about Penix Jr. This is a player who's had two serious knee injuries and a shoulder injury in his career. He did nothing in four years at Indiana. And the Kalen Burr scheme is very quarterback friendly. You know, he's been appointed in Washington because he made Jake Hayner look good at Fresno State. You know, the design of the scheming is, is just very modern. It's, it's a real positive for, for UW. It's going to make them really entertaining to watch, as we saw the weekend. And good for them. You know, they've not been a fun team to watch in a long time. And they're going to be fun again. So, so they've, they've made a good appointment there. And, you know, I think in college football these days, you need someone who can be creative with quarterbacks and develop them and make them look good. And that's what he's doing with, with Penix Jr. And fair play to the player and fair play to the coach. Is he a major pro prospect? I don't think so. Because... You know, again, he's playing a very favourable system. Last year, he had four touchdowns and seven picks before he got hurt again. Um, he's had those major injuries. He's playing in this system that does a lot of the heavy lifting, doesn't demand too much from him, a lot of one-read stuff. And yet, do you know what? When he makes that one read, if when he throws the pass, it was very accurate in this game. Michigan State also had the worst passing defence in the entire college football last year, and it doesn't look any better. You know, they look like a team that was carried by Ken Walker Jr. And now he's not there anymore and they don't look very good. I think at number 11 was a, a bit of a red herring. So, look, fun player. I'd just say enjoy Michael Penix Jr. Enjoy Washington. Have fun with them. But let's not get too carried away just yet about how high he may go in the draft or anything like that. Because it's, it's just very premature.
And that brings me on to Anthony Richardson, who this may be the last time I talk about Anthony Richardson for a while, because despite all of the impressive physical tools, he just isn't ready for the NFL. He needs to focus on development. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass yet, and he's now got four interceptions, and they're bad interceptions. He played very badly against South Florida for the Florida Gators. And this is the uh, you know South Florida team who were 28-0 down in the first quarter against BYU two weeks ago. And I watched that game, and they were horrendous. And they nearly beat Florida in the swamp. And Richardson played a huge part in nearly helping them pull off that upset. He had this really terrible interception on third and seven. 12-16 remaining in the third quarter. He did progress to a second read, and yet I have no idea what he saw because he just chucked it over the middle. He did not see a defender. He wasn't even hiding in the tall grass. Theron was just there, and he just doesn't see him, and he throws it straight to him. I have no idea what he was – his mind is, is just frazzled at the moment, I think. Horrible mistake, and it turned the game on its head and just showed that that, that processing that we saw when we won against Utah was just a complete mirage. And then as they were trying to fight back into it, you know, Florida gets back into the end zone off the back of the running game, 7.58 to go, tries to throw a back shoulder fade to the left front corner of the end zone. Defender just read it, didn't get enough height on the ball. Defender gains position, intercepts the pass – and he just needed to throw that with more loft. And he doesn't, and that should have ended the game. But, you know, they turned it over against South Florida through an interception of their own, which was stupid. Florida escapes with a 31-28 win, and that's that. But Richardson's numbers, 10 of 18 for 112 yards, QBR of 11.6, non-factors a runner again, seven runs, 24 yards. I mean, he simply isn't ready to be talked about as an NFL prospect. And maybe it went to his head a little bit. Maybe he heard the headlines, maybe the the pressure built after that Utah game. But he's, at the moment, he just looks like a great athlete. He doesn't look like a quarterback. And we've seen nothing in the last two weeks I think he should be even on the pro radar. He's got the tools. Now he has to become a quarterback, an actual quarterback. His TD to interception ratio is now seven touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He only has a handful of starts and he looks like a player who's only had a handful of starts. You know, he needs more games, more time. He needs the full season. He needs to be off our radar until he plays better than this. And if he doesn't start improving soon, at this rate, he might even be benched by Florida. That's how bad it's going for him. So there we go. That's my review of this week. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think what we're seeing so far is potentially three first-round quarterbacks, Levis, Stroud, and Young. But there are more than three teams that need quarterbacks. And this is the problem that the Seahawks are going to have. And watching that game on Sunday, you know, they need a lot of things, I think. I think they need a lot of pieces, but they definitely need a quarterback. And, you know, as I look to this draft, I just think a bit of perspective is needed on the quarterback class because it, it's hard to get them and the numbers are not, there's not sort of six, seven, you'd, you'd think there would be listening to the media, quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. And it's difficult to find quarterbacks. You know, ask the Niners and Trey Lance, they spent all that money on and picks on Trey Lance and look what's happened. Ask the Colts, they go from one old quarterback to another year after year and they're awful. Ask the Bears, they've not had a franchise quarterback in decades. You know, it, it's an assumption that the, the, the solutions are going to be there in the draft and readily available. It's not as simple as that. Um, and we're going to have to let this play out. We're going to need to see how high the Seahawks look like they're going to pick because, hey, look, Denver don't look that great either. Maybe they'll give the Seahawks a, you know, a, a good pick, although it's worth noting that Russell Wilson had some slow starts in Seattle over the years as well, so they could get better. Um, but if it is going to be a high pick, how high? Who's going to declare? You know, can Tyler Van Dyke repair his stock? Can some other players emerge? Maybe. But right now I'm looking at a three-horse race. And whenever there's only just three, unless you're picking in the top four or five, let's assume Will Anderson's going to go very early. I still think Brian Brissy, people are sleeping on him as a very, very early pick. If you're not in that top five, um, it could get tricky. 
it could get tricky to get one. So we'll see how this plays out over the next few weeks. I'm off to Italy now, so not probably not going to do any videos until I get back, which is going to be over the weekend. But I am going to be back in time for the college football slate this weekend. And I'll have my usual articles and thoughts on that. I'll have the usual instant reaction to the Seahawks game against Atlanta. Might be a solo mission this week. I don't know if uh, Robbie and Adam are going to be there, but we'll definitely do something off the back of that. Just a plea, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Help me out in that regard to get those subscription numbers up. They are growing steadily. Let's get them higher than they are right now. Give the video a like and spread the message. SeahawksDraftBlog.com for more analysis on the Seahawks and this huge draft class that's going to be so important for the Seattle Seahawks. Until next time, bye for now.